Well, I've been using the Sunday nights at the end of this year to be talking about different people as they are given to us in the scriptures, these people of faith. We've looked at uh, people like Jacob already at this point. I'm hoping to look at Gideon here in the next couple of weeks and how God worked with him. Uh, but tonight I want to spend our time in the first chapter of Jeremiah and looking at the call that God gives to Jeremiah. Uh, as I read Jeremiah and this, this beginning words that are given here, to me the appropriate terminology is, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Now that might cause you to shudder because I had to read that book when I was in high school. That's Charles Dickens who uh, wrote, wrote that, uh, and I remember uh, suffering through that book. <laughs> but it was such an appropriate title to describe all the events of what that, that book entailed regarding the French Revolution, that at this time it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. You'll, you'll notice in Jeremiah chapter 1 and in those first three verses I think that is supposed to be the takeaway that you're supposed to get. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the king of Ammon, king of Judah, or son of Ammon, the king of Judah in the 13th year of his reign. You have in the scriptures that in regards to the kings of Judah, that God defines two kings that are stated to be essentially the best that Judah ever had, that they were faithful to God in a way that, that none other had been in the past or in the future. And those two kings that are described that way, one of them is Hezekiah, where it's said of him in Second Kings 18, that point is made, and the other is Josiah. And Josiah is told that in Second Kings 23, in the reign of Josiah, you have some of the most radical, aggressive spiritual reforms put into place, particularly notable because the prior two kings were some wicked kings. In fact, Josiah's grandfather is Manasseh, who is the worst king, who reigned 55 years over the land and really put Judah to its spiritual demise. But Josiah comes in and attempts to start a spiritual revival. And Jeremiah's prophecy begins in those days, in the days of Josiah, when you would start thinking that, hey, the sun might be shining again, things might be turning, the spiritual revival might be beginning. But then you have also in verse 3 that the word of the Lord also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. What looks so glorious in verse 2, one of the best kings ever, ends with this horrible thud in verse 3 where we are going to have the next king be wicked and all of the final kings are wicked until you read those final words of verse 3 until the captivity and you have the destruction of Jerusalem and their end in 586 BC. It is in that time that Jeremiah is called to prophesy. His, 
Calling comes when Josiah is on the throne, but he is going to be prophesied all through the worst of times, even to the demise of the nation, even to the fall of the city, and even beyond that when you study his, his prophecy. But I want to spend our time in particular this evening looking at his calling, because it is a, a, a unique calling in this, that most of the time when you read the prophets, you probably get something to this effect. The word of the Lord came to fill in the blank prophet, and then the prophecy goes. And this is one of the unique times where you get some information about what that calling looked like, what that, what that discussion looked like between God and the prophet. And I want you to notice what God says to Jeremiah in verse 4. Verse 4, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. You have to think about what a stunning statement that would be to hear God say, I formed you in the womb. And before I did that, I knew you. <laughs> I mean, you go, wow. <laughs> God formed me in the womb, and even before he had accomplished that very task, he knew me and knew exactly what he was going to have me do. And I want us to think about why God would come to Jeremiah and tell him this. You have to, to picture there is a reason for the uniqueness of this calling, that it isn't just simply, hey, Jeremiah, I'm calling you. Why don't you get to work? But think about the message that God is communicating here. God comes to him and says, I have made you. I have formed you. I know you. I have a mission for you. I have a purpose for you. You're not an accident. You're not just an experiment in reproductive science. I formed you. What a thought. That God is pictured as saying, I made you. That you're not just simply random tissues thrown together, but God forming that very individual and even forming that very soul, which something as the people of God, we would understand the science can't even begin to explain the idea how a soul, a life spirit is put into the individual and they breathe life like that, except by the very hand of God himself. And you get God saying that to Jeremiah at this point is to tell him I have formed you. Life comes from me and I am going to use that. And I am going to use you with this great purpose. He says in verse five, I, I, I set you apart before you were born. I consecrated you. I have decided ahead of time that you had a purpose and your purpose was that I was going to appoint you to be my prophet. And so I have, have a plan for you that you're going to accomplish. And the reason why this picture, I think, is so important is so often I think we can can forget or fail to think about how God has set in motion a purpose for his people. It is easy to read Jeremiah and go, well, that's a one off, right? OK, Jeremiah, God came to him. He formed him. He knew him. He had a purpose for him. And he's put him on this mission to be a prophet. But I want you to think carefully about the words that the Apostle Paul spoke when he wrote to the, the Ephesian Christians. And you might remember that he says there at the very end of this beautiful paragraph about being saved by the grace of God, that he draws this big conclusion about that. 
For we are his workmanship. We've been formed by God. We've been made for a purpose. And the purpose is that we would do good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. And notice the wording that comes along with it. Because it's very similar to Jeremiah. Which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Here is God saying, Jeremiah, you have a job to do. I formed you, I made you, and here's your purpose. Go and do it. And God comes along here and says, hey, guess what? Of all the people of God, you're his workmanship. And you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You have a purpose. And God has set that in motion that you would do those things for God. Now, when you think about God saying something like this, I think it is important to get a sense of the the weight of what Jeremiah is hearing, which I think is this. Jeremiah, you're, you're made for this moment. This is your time. I'm calling you for this moment so that you would be my prophet and you're going to go preach my words and you're going to tell them exactly what I have to tell you. And, and this means you've been formed by God with this purpose to do these very good works. To give Jeremiah some encouragement and give him some hope for what this task is that he's about to do. That he's not just simply, hey, go out there and throw some words out there. But this is your task. This is, this is your mission. But I want you to notice how Jeremiah responds to it. I think the way Jeremiah responds is pretty common and it's probably the way we feel about things. You will notice in verse 6 that Jeremiah does not say, that's great. I'm so excited that you have a purpose for me and a work to do, and I am going to go and do that work. You'll notice what Jeremiah says in verse 6. Jeremiah says, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. I'm too young, and I don't know what to say. Does that sound familiar? Well, it might sound familiar on a couple levels. It might sound familiar because you might remember Moses said that. When God came to Moses and said, you're going to be my deliverer. I have a purpose for you and you're going to go and you're going to stand before Pharaoh and you're going to set my people free. Moses said, "Ah, I don't know how to speak. You've got the wrong guy. They're not going to believe me. How am I going to be able to convince them? Who should I say sent me? He starts just unloading excuses in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of all the reasons why Moses would be terrible for this job. And just as an aside, please think, was, was Moses terrible for the job? He thought so. He thought he was the wrong guy. We read it and go, that was the right guy. <laughs> Look at him. Look at what he did. But he thought, you have the wrong person. And here's Jeremiah saying the same thing. You're coming to me and telling me that, that I've been formed by you to do this work and to go and proclaim a message to these people. And you want me to be a prophet? You have the wrong guy. I am too young and I don't know how to speak. And, and we like to find all the excuses we can, don't we? Now here we're told, you are God's creation. You are his workmanship. You have been formed in Christ to do good works. And our response is, well, I'm too young. I'm too old. 
I don't know what to say. I get really nervous. We go with all the things as to why we can't do the work. And I want us to know that everybody feels that way. I don't know that you have anybody that just jumps up and goes, yeah, I can definitely do it. They all say, oh boy, oh boy, I don't know that I'm the one to do this. But I want you to notice what God says in verse 7. Verse 7, God says, But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I hope you listen to what God's answers are in this. He gives what I think are three essential messages as a response to Jeremiah's excuse. Jeremiah says, I'm too young. I don't know what to say. You have the wrong guy. I can't do this. You need to get somebody else. This is not for me. And I want you to notice that the first thing God says in verse 7 is, don't talk to me about age. (laughs) Don't say to me, I'm too young. I think that's important to think about. You know, sometimes we have the tendency, oh, well, I'm too young. You know, one, one day when I get a whole lot older, then I'll really be ready to go. But I'm too young for it. And I don't know that that excuse ever leaves. At some, with some point, this never disappears. We're either we're too young and too ex- inexperienced. Then we get middle aged and we're too busy and then we're too old and it's too hard, right? That just seems to be the the mechanism of life that there's always this functional excuse as to why I can't do it. And I want you to hear God say, don't tell me about your age. I don't care if you're a teenager. I don't care if you're in your 20s. I don't care if you're mid age. I don't care if you're in your 80s. Don't tell me about age. You have a purpose. You have a work that needs to be done. And I want you to notice what he says that he needs to do. Here's the great confidence of what he says in verse seven. After he says, don't say I'm only a youth because I'm going to send you and you shall go. Look at the very end of verse seven. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. You know, you don't have to worry about what to say. You're just going to say my words. You don't have to come up with anything. Just tell them my words. That's going to be your mission. That's your task. That's your purpose. So don't say you're too young. Don't say you can't. Here's all that I'm asking you to do. Go tell them my words. And when you go tell them my words, I don't want you to be afraid because notice in verse 8, he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. So your age doesn't matter. And I'm not asking you to come up with something on the fly. Just tell them my words and I'm going to be with you. Now, you know how often God's told us that I'll pick out one place, but I mean, do you know how often God has said that very simple message? I don't need your excuses. Just go tell them my words and I will be with you. Let let me give you, let me give you one of them. How about first Peter four and in, and in verse eight, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Listen to verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so 
as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Here's God saying, I formed you, I made you, I know who you are, I know what you can do, and I want you to go and do God's will, and here's God's will, speak God's words to people. That's what Peter is saying here. So your translation might say speaking the very oracles of God. You're just going to go and say God's words. You're going to tell them what God has to say. You don't have to come up with anything. You just tell them God's words. And you go and you do that and you serve in that way as one who is doing it as the strength of God. And do all these things, he says at the end of this verse in verse 11, so that God is glorified and do not be afraid because God is with you. It's the same message. You know, sometimes we think we need to come up with some big, magical, you know, pamphlet of here's all the things that I need to memorize to say to have the perfect words to give to somebody. And if you were in that Wednesday class many months ago, we we were talking about outreach and evangelism. We just made it as simple as this. Can you put the good news of God in someone's life? Can you just say God's words to people? When you're on the job, when you're in the world, when you're with your neighbors, can you just speak what God has spoken to you? Can you just tell them what God has said to you and you tell them the very same thing? You don't have to come up with something fancy. In fact, God doesn't want you to. God just wants you to say what he said. And that's what he's telling Jeremiah. Oh, don't say I'm a youth. I don't care about age. Don't say I don't know how to speak. You're just going to tell them my words. Just go tell them my words. That's all you have to do. Just share what I've, I've told you. And you can do that very thing. It is a wonderful picture of hope that God gives to us. And he's not asking you to come up with a 20-page essay on the gospel and you have to figure out how to synthesize it and tell it to somebody. Just say what God has said to you. To use those opportunities when somebody says, I'm going through something hard, you can say, well, I will be praying to the Lord for you. When someone is rejoicing, you can tell them, well, thank God that he has blessed you in that way. You can put the good news in the life of people and you can speak those good words to them. And this is what Jeremiah is being told. You're going to have God's word and you're going to speak it. I want you to notice what, what God says he's going to have to tell him. Notice in verse 9 what the message is, is going to be. It says in verse 9, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Notice what he just told that Jeremiah is going to do. Jeremiah is told, you're going to be building things up and tearing them down. You're going to build up nations and tear down kingdoms. Now think about that. Was he telling Jeremiah, all right, get out there with your you know, sledgehammer and your pickaxe. And I want you to go destroy some walls and go tear down some nations. How was Jeremiah going to be building up and tearing down? By just saying God's words. He is going to have a radical effect by just simply going out and proclaiming the very words of God. <clears throat> you might remember 
There's a, a, a subtle statement that's made about that in regards to the first century disciples. And you might remember in Acts chapter 17, when there is a complaint about what these disciples are doing, <clears throat> what they said was this. They said, these people have turned the world upside down. How'd they turn the world upside down? They just, you know, act really crazy and no. They just told people God's words. That's all they had to do was tell people God's words. And people looked at them and said, they are just turning things upside down. They are flipping things over, which is what Jeremiah is told that he is going to do. And friends, please don't underestimate the power of God's word to change the world. You know, somehow I think as Christians, we think the way to social change, the way to culture change, the way to national change, the way to global change is through programs, politicians, elections. There's one way. The word of God. The word of God will turn the world upside down. The word of God has the power to overthrow kingdoms and nations. The word of God has the power to build up and tear down, pluck and overthrow, build and plant. All of these things are given to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you're going to be tearing down the nations. And how's he going to do it? Because he's going to walk around saying God's words. And we can be those kinds of people. Don't underestimate the power of God's words. Sometimes we can fear that and think that we shouldn't be saying what God has to say, that we need to change it or hide it or adjust it or sugarcoat it or do something different to it in some way. Just say God's words. Here's what God says about that circumstance or that situation or this particular problem. This is what Jeremiah was told to do. And in a similar way, it is our call as, as well. In fact, God gives Jeremiah two proofs. To, to, uh, to underscore it, there are two very quick visions that are given here. And the first <clears throat> vision that he gives is in verses 11 and 12. And he just simply sees uh, a picture of an almond branch. And the whole point of the vision is this. You'll notice at the end of verse, thir- verse 12. God says, I am watching over my word to perform it. God says, I'll accomplish what I've said. God says, I'm going to accomplish my message. I'm going to accomplish my words. I'm going to do what I have promised. And that's part of what we're telling the world is we're able to go and tell the world, listen, God has made us. God has formed us. He is our creator. Here is the good news of God's message that God is for us and has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's prepared from a long time ago. You are in the heart of God. And we would share that message because God is saying, I am going to fulfill my word. And he gives a second vision in verses 13 through 16 that he says, and I'm going to follow through with the judgment that I have proclaimed. That judgment is certainly coming. This is so obvious. And yet it's easy for us to miss. If we are going to proclaim God's word to people about the necessity of salvation, salvation by its very definition implies that you need to be saved from 
something. We have to tell people that something is coming that requires salvation. It is hard to convince a lost and dying world the need of salvation if they don't see that they're a lost and dying world. It is hard to convince people the need of salvation if they don't see that there's a danger, that there is a judgment that is coming, that there is a problem that is on the horizon, that the wrath of God is going to be revealed one day and ultimately we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so often we can try to convince people of the word of God, but leave out the reason why they need to be saved. And here is God doing this in the very first chapter where he says, a disaster is coming, verse 14. And verse 16, I'm going to declare my judgments against them for all the evil and forsaking me. For they have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the work of their hands. Judgment is coming. And notice now what the big conclusion that he has for Jeremiah now in verse 17. But you, dress yourselves for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. Listen to verse 19. See if you'd be encouraged to go to work. Verse 19. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. I wouldn't want to hear verse 9, okay, get dressed for work and get ready, but don't tell me they're going to resist. Don't tell me it's going to be hard, but that's the whole message. His whole point to Jeremiah in wrapping up this calling is get ready to say God's words and don't be discouraged. Be ready to tell them what I have to say, and they're not going to like it. But that's okay, because I'm with you. I'm with you when you, when you say my words. And it's going to be okay that they're going to fight against you. It's okay that they're going to reject those messages. It's okay that they're going to stand against that. That's okay. We aren't doing something wrong if we are saying what God says, and they don't like it. If you're like me, I have the tendency to feel like, well, if they're unhappy with what I'm saying, I must have done something wrong. Maybe I need to retool and rethink this. And God is always saying to his servants, they're not going to like it. There's never a time where God comes to a prophet or an apostle or a disciple and says, you go preach my message and they're going to be so excited. They're going to just carry you around on their shoulders cheering. They're going to be thrilled. Oh. He always says, they're going to kill you for this. They're not going to like it. Because who wants to hear that the way you're living your life needs to change? And if it doesn't change, judgment falls. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that message. And that's what he's telling Jeremiah here. Dress yourselves for work. Arise, get ready, and go say to them the things I've commanded you. Does verse 17 sound somewhat familiar? You might remember the Apostle Peter said something very similar. Prepare your minds for action. Or if you had an older translation, gird up the loins of your mind is what he says. Basically, get dressed for work. 
You have a mission. You have a purpose. You also have the very same calling. You have been formed with a purpose. And your purpose is to do God's works. And doing God's works looks like saying God's words to people. And to not be afraid of that. Even if they resist. And what I would like to emphasize in terms of encouragement that we are made for this moment is this. Is rather than emphasizing our weaknesses, we need to emphasize God's strength. Every time somebody said to God, I can't do this. God always said, don't worry, I got it. Every time somebody came up with an excuse, God always says, I don't need your excuses because I'm going to be with you. I'm going to get you through this. You're going to do my my work and it's going to work out. And friends, sometimes what we do is we so overemphasize all the things that we feel inadequate about. All the things that we think we can't do. I'm shy. I'm introverted. I'm scared. I don't know what to say. It's going to go terribly. They're all going to hate me. They're going to throw tomatoes at me. They're never going to talk again to me again. Or sometimes we even think we have a holy excuse, which which is this. I'm going to ruin the opportunity. There's only one way to ruin the opportunity. Say nothing. That's the only way. The only way to mess up that opportunity is to say nothing. Because God is saying, just tell them my words. And if you just tell them my words, I've got the rest. Don't worry about what you can't do. Listen to how the Apostle Paul said it. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To others, we are the aroma of life leading to life. I want you to hear Paul say, you know, when I go around and I say God's words, I get two reactions. Some look at me and they go, this is just freeing and this is life and it is the aroma of Christ. It is a wonderful fragrance. Thank you for sharing this with me. And he says to others, it is the stench of death. (laughs) And then notice how he ends this. Who's adequate for these things? I read the Apostle Paul and I go, you are. (laughs) Paul, you are right. You, You are absolutely adequate. Look at you. You're amazing. Look at what you did. Look at how you taught. They... Tried to kill you, stoned you and dragged you out of the city and left you for dead. And you got back up and went back in. Who's, a, who's a, inadequate? Everything's not you. And I want you to see Paul is saying, I'm inadequate. Here's Paul saying, I, I, I'm inadequate for this. How'd he do it? Rather than emphasizing his weaknesses, he focused on God's strengths. That's how he's able to do it. And that's what he's telling Jeremiah to do. Dress yourself for action. Get yourself ready. Yep, there's going to be resistance. But that's okay. You've got my words. And I've created you for this purpose. God's answers to our excuses is that we have his word and that is all we need.
That's it. We don't need anything else. Notice there's there's nothing else of, of, of God telling Jeremiah. And I'm going to give you, you know, a 90 day crash course prophet training. It's just you have my words. Now go. It's all you need. You don't need anything special. You don't need anything else. But here's my words. Go and tell them. This is the call that Jeremiah is is given. And friends, yes, there's going to be resistance. Perhaps more than ever in our lifetimes, we're going to see there's going to be resistance. You might have somebody unfriend you on social media. This is the cross we bear. But someone might not like what we say because it's the very words of God. Are we going to dress ourselves to do the work and know that we can do it? Not because that we have to come up with anything, but because we have the very words of God. Whether it's the best of times or whether it's the worst of times, God gives us the strength to do his work. And he is the one that removes the fears that we have. We are his handiwork. We are his workmanship. God has formed us the way we are and we are made this way to carry out his purposes and to do his good pleasure while we are on this earth. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for recording for us your call of Jeremiah, an individual who clearly was afraid of what he was called to do, who felt inadequate to what you'd call him to do. And Lord, please help us to see the message you've told him. Help us to have the confidence to know that you have made us and formed us. That we are not just random human beings on this earth, but you have made us as your children to carry out your purposes and to do good works. And Lord, give us the strength, give us the courage to speak your words to not shrink back from the purpose that you have given to us. Help us to see that you are with us, no matter whether it be good times or bad. Help us to see the importance of sharing your news to the world around us. Remind us, Lord, that the only way to change this world and to turn it back to you is to speak your words to the world, that there's no other way. And Lord, forgive us for when we've been afraid. Forgive us when we have not said your words. Forgive us when we have been too concerned about the opinions of people. We've been too concerned about what others might think or say. And Lord, give us a boldness to speak the truth in love, to speak these words seasoned with salt, with the grace that you yourself have to a lost and dying world. So help us, Lord, prepare us for the work and let us do it mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to the Lord and we invite you to see that God has given you a purpose as well, that you have been created to do good works and that God has not left you alone to figure that out. Your mission to go and do good works and to speak God's words, to speak as the very words of God to the world around you.
If you're ready to come to Jesus today to turn away from your sins, we'd love to help you to do that. If we can encourage you in any way, please let us know how we can help you. You can come now while we stand and while we sing.